Merry Christmas! I'm Sam Clements, and welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. This is a podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less running time and is entirely curated by guests on this podcast. Today, we are joined by film critic Ella Kemp, host of the Cine Matters podcast and writer for a number of publications, including Little White Lies and The Independent. Hello, Ella. Hello, Sam. Thank you for having me. Welcome to the Pod Grotto for our festive edition of the podcast. It's so wonderful to be here in this Christmas period. We've got reindeer, a snow outside, we've got a fire on. It's so festive. It's so comfortable. I feel so at home. Thoughts on Christmas? I love it. I mean, as as I said before we started recording, I have dressed with a, in a festive manner. I, I hope this. <laughs> I hope sufficiently festive. It's it's brilliant. I think it should always last three weeks, no longer than five weeks. But yeah, but a confident three weeks. I'm happy to enjoy it. So normally, as I mentioned in the intro, our guests choose our films. That's the unique selling point of this podcast. Today, however, because it's Christmas, that's gone out the window, and we're going to talk about a bona fide Christmas classic, The Muppet Christmas Carol, one of my favourite films, which I've watched probably like like genuinely the most times without realising it, because when you're a kid, it's just on, right? So I thought maybe we should celebrate the fact that one of the greatest Christmas films is only 85 minutes long and have a good old natter about The Muppet Christmas Carol. It's a Christmas miracle. I can't quite believe it. Can you remember the first time you saw this film? I honestly can't. It's not a film that I have watched a lot of times. I don't really re-watch that many films. And out of the Christmas films that I rewatch, I have to admit it's not one of the ones I watch the most. Mm. I kind of, before rewatching it for this podcast, I had this distant memory of having seen it and of having enjoyed it. I knew I loved it, but it's always one that I'd see would be on TV every Christmas and I wouldn't necessarily turn to it because it was always on. So it kind of almost felt safe to watch it. I thought, oh, well, that's fine. That's there. Let's see what's new this year or something. But, mm. you know, it's still a staple. It's still always good to come back to. I think it's it's not that old, but it feels like it's sort of up there with It's a Wonderful Life <laughs> in terms of like the Christmas cycle of films mm. that sort of come out again and again and again. I should say we, we ran a Twitter poll, which is the most trusted source of finding any sort of information ahead of this episode. And the 90 minute or less Twitter fans voted for this one. It was like 70% Muppet Christmas Carol. Sadly, the Vince Vaughan vehicle for Christmases only had one vote out of about 300 or so votes, which was a, which was a great shame and a lot of shade on Vince. Maybe um, next Next year, maybe, maybe Christmas well, 2019, see. Vince Vaughan will have it. I hope so. Hope, maybe it will get the following that the Muppet Christmas Carol has. From that Twitter poll, people were like, Muppet Christmas Carol all the way. I watched this film. Like, I'm watching it right now. It's the beginning of December. <laughs> it's the time to dust off the DVD. Like, there is a, like a big fan base for this movie. We went to a sing-along at <gasps> the Prince Charles Cinema in London. Wow. And it was busy. It was a Wednesday night. People were dressed up as Muppets. Oh, my God. People had Christmas T-shirts on. People had Muppet Christmas T-shirts on. People were booing when Michael Caine came on screen, who plays Scrooge. And it, it was a, it was a, like, that That was the fan base. Like, you sort of see these people who knew all the words, they could sing along. I was sort of, like, mumbling a little bit. That's so interesting. And, yeah, it's weird that you've got the side that's obviously, it's such a classic Christmas film and everyone knows the story, but then... You've got the Muppets fan base on top of that, which just adds a whole other layer that people can love this film for so many different reasons. Mm. And then it just all comes together. And it's just such a huge phenomenon. 
and all of the Charles Dickens fans. Absolutely, yeah, sure the all hardcore of them, Charles Dickens fans. They will never die. <laughs> So let's talk about this movie. Let's talk about The Muppet Christmas Carol. I'm going to read the blurb from the back of the box because I feel like that's probably the best way to summarise the plot. Tis the season for love, laughter, and one of the most cherished stories of all time. Join Kermit the Frog, Miss Piggy, and all the hilarious Muppets in this merry, magical version of Charles Dickens' classic tale. Academy Award winner Michael Caine, Best Supporting Actor, The Cider House Rules, Hannah and her sisters, gives a performance that's anything but bar humbug as greedy, penny-pinching Ebenezer Scrooge. One fateful Christmas Eve, Scrooge is visited by the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future. Together with kind, humble Bob Cratchit, Kermit the Frog, and his family, the spirits open Scrooge's eyes and his heart to the true meaning of Christmas. How do you rate that copy? How do I write that copy? It's it's very interesting. It I think it tries to put in a lot of buzzwords. Yes. A lot of things to grab your attention, a lot of reasons to watch this film. I don't know if it's entirely factually correct. <laughs> when they say that Michael Caine is anything but bar humbug, what no. That's his whole character. What are they talking about? And that's you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I'd probably watch the film based on that, but I don't know if that was the film that I watched. I think there's about one sentence of plot and just a lot of like yeah, buzzwords. But also I love that they mentioned the Cider House rules and Hannah and her sisters, yeah. which are not sort of like what Muppets fans would oh, necessarily look towards. Another fan base to bring ah, into this film. Yeah, I yeah, see. The, really the, the Kane fan base. The Kane fan base. Huge. God, all of the Dark Knight fans. All of those. <laughs> the King of Thieves crowd. Oh, yeah, they'll be flocking to the Prince Charles, I'm sure. So when you when you did your rewatch in preparation for this, what was your sort of big takeaway from, from that experience? I think I'd forgotten who plays which character and by that I mean kind of what their personality traits were as much because Mm. when I was I honestly can't remember when it was that I'd seen it before and when I was rereading the synopsis when it was saying oh Michael Caine Kermit the Frog and everything and then I mean Bob Cratchit he's not he's not actually the main focus of this film Mm. and so I think my impression before re-watching it was that the film is setting itself as a Muppet Christmas Carol told by Kermit the Frog, as you expect with a lot of Muppets film. But that's not it. He's not the narrator. And obviously his character, I think, is is brilliant and quite moving. But there, there is a very different balance against other Muppet stories, I think. Mm-hmm. It's totally unique, I think, within the Muppet canon, like which is a canon that some people will be very invested in and, and people will come to this film as Kermit fans. And you have to wait, like, 20 or so minutes it feels like until you yeah. see a glimpse of him and then he doesn't really come into it properly mm-hmm. until later on because the great Gonzo is playing Charles Dickens who's the narrator and I sort of love how this film plays with like the layers of storytelling so we have to believe that there's Charles Dickens played by Gonzo as credited at the beginning of the film all the Muppets characters they're playing are sort of credited to them he's addressing us directly and he's in this world but then also that he's a Muppet in a Muppet film playing Charles Dickens and then there's Scrooge played by Michael Caine who doesn't know that Charles Dickens exists and carries out all of his actions in the background and then there's like the the dream sequences the ghost visit, visions that Charles Dickens played by Gonzo is sort of there throughout and he can sort of 
be in the visions. He can sort of transcend this sort of reality. It's very confusing. Yeah. I imagine writing this film would have been a total nightmare. <laughs> it's com- so astonishing the number of layers that there are to it. And yet I'm I'm rather confused now hearing it out loud. But I remember while watching it, it just you do just kind of go along with it. And I and I very easily found myself slipping into whichever reality I was being mm. told to follow. And yeah, there's this strange self-awareness in the narration mm. where they know that they're talking to Muppets fans in the audience, but they're not denying the story that they are borrowing mm. and not necessarily reinventing, but just kind of, you know, putting another jacket on the story instead yes. of like that's turning a nice it inside way to, out. Uh, to, that's a way better way to describe it. <laughs> and also, you've got so many different franchises who have retold this story mm. that the one that I kind of have to admit I rewatch more often is Mickey's Christmas Carol, ah. which is another animated version that I love a lot. I I have to admit, I do love all of Mickey's various festive films. The one I recommend the most is Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas. But that's besides the point. Mickey's Christmas Carol, I think there's not that same sense of humour or self-awareness that the Muppet Christmas Carol have. It's much more about, yeah, about Disney taking ownership and putting their own spin on the story and just trusting that that's what their audience wants. Whereas here... With the Muppets, I think it's much more open and you Mm. can focus on whichever bits you remember and love the most. I think they're sort of taking it as a given. You probably know the the, the Christmas Carol story. Yeah. And they can sort of play with it enough and make it funny with the Muppets twist on it. Also, I think the Christmas Carol story can be quite short. I'm sure that maybe the Mickey Disney film is probably like a shorter film. Yeah. uh, Which is great on this podcast. We love those (laughs) films. But I think in this film, if if they just told the the Christmas Carol as it is written it probably like forty minutes yeah and they've this film is only eighty five minutes they've added like these extra minutes of just them goofing around because the story allows that mm. so it's kind of a, it's a really smart idea to do it this way and it does feel like really bold and postmodern and and things which maybe people don't associate with what is traditionally seen as a kids film yeah and it does seem much longer than eighty five minutes I mean that in a very positive sense mm. but. Yeah, going into it, I thought, oh, it's fine. This is just 85 minutes. It'll it'll fly by. And I had a great time, but it diddidn't fly by because it is quite dense and Mm. they add so much more into it with, you know, the the gags, Mm -hmm. which punctuate the film very well. But then, obviously, the story has its own chapters and all of the songs. Yeah. (laughs) So many songs. I think it's a real skill to make a shorter film that sort of makes you walk away feeling like you've been through a journey. And I think The Muppets Christmas Carol does that very well. Gonzo, the great Gonzo, and Rizzo the Rat, playing Rizzo the Rat, are our sort of narrators and, and they're sort of commenting on that. How did you how did you find them as, as you know, sort of directly addressing the camera and, and guiding the audience through this film? I think at first I wasn't too sure about it. I was a bit on the fence because I thought, can I trust you with this story? And are you going to deliver? Mm. But then I think because they had, they were very, they're very aware and very confident storytellers and they're very funny. So Mm. I think you can't help but trust them after a while because they have won you over and they make you feel more comfortable Mm -hmm. because, because they make you laugh. And, you know, if someone can make you laugh, then they're halfway there, right? 
and they uh, they start the film in quite a but you know you're going into this thinking ah oh, the Muppets they're funny I like them but the, the film starts with Gonzo like reading direct lines from Charles Dickens the Christmas Carol yeah <laughs> like, oh that's that's again like quite they're thinking of that pitching meeting and it's gonna start with the great Gonzo just reading it straight <laughs> <laughs> and introducing the character of Ebenezer Scrooge yeah uh, played by Michael Caine who I think is the star of the film yeah. more so than say Kermit who you're right is, is isn't in it as much as I thought he might be how do you think Michael Caine is in this film and and what what are your opinions on Michael Caine? I think he's really brilliant in this film. He's someone that I've only come to see him in roles in recent years. I haven't actually revisited a lot of his earlier work and I know that I should and I will. But so in this film, I think he's quite different to the way that I've seen him before. In that in other roles I think how can I put this? He tends to play characters that can very easily be impersonated. Mm. Whereas I find that his performance in this film, Ebenezer Scrooge is a character that we know well, but I can't see anyone trying to do an impression of Michael Caine's Ebenezer Scrooge. Mm. It, In a way, this very big character seems to be a bit more of a subtle performance than other performances that I've seen Michael Caine do. Because I think the marker for me is when I see Michael Caine in a film and stop calling him Michael Caine and call him by his character's name. So in this one, I'd be just as happy, you know, referring to Scrooge, whereas in the Dark Knight trilogy, I'll always call him Michael Caine. They've just wielded Michael Caine. Exactly. They didn't even put yeah. him in a costume. It's just what he's wearing. What is, what? is he playing a character? <laughs> so Michael Caine, uh, when he took this role, apparently said to director Brian Henson, son of Jim Henson, who founded the Muppet Company, I'm going to play this movie like I'm working with the Royal Shakespeare Company. I will never wink. I will never do anything Muppety. I am going to play Scrooge as if it is utterly a dramatic role and there are no puppets around me. That's brilliant. And Brian Henson said, really bang that. on. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so wonderful to hear. That's kind of what I was hoping he was thinking. Mm. And because I think if he's very deliberately playing it that serious, then it works. But I think if he was trying to be funny and trying to be pantomimic, then that didn't work in the end. That no. didn't come through. And he's very serious. But I think if he was a much louder character I would consider this film to be more trivial than mm. it is Christmas is a very busy time for us Mr Cratchit people preparing feasts giving parties spending the mortgage money on frivolities mm. one might say that December is the foreclosure season harvest time for the money lenders I think all of the leads, like Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy, play their characters quite seriously yep, as well. Absolutely. I mean, they have a you know a, a, a very ill son uh, in this film, and and they're deal- and they're they're sort of living on the poverty line, and they play that straight, which is mm. again unusual, I think, for Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy to be playing their roles like that. And and I think all of the the sort of buffoonery is the supporting characters, the background characters, and Gonzo and Rizzo. I think that's enough. It's sort of nice that the main plot is sort of dealt with as if you know you're in it's like i think it's like the muppets are putting on a school play and the muppets with the key characters don't sort of break their roles but the narrator the, and all of the other guys can sort of be fun around them yeah that's such a nice way of putting it and yeah i think that that balance is so important because otherwise it would just become one big joke and mm. it's not that much of a funny story but then if you want to make a Christmas film, there has got to be something warm and enjoyable and light and something that's going to lift your spirits a bit. So mm. you've got that sense of humour, but then it is the the emotional grounding of the 
kind of main cast and by main I think we'll mean you know Kermit Miss Piggy and Ebenezer Scrooge mm. not Michael Caine <laughs> and yeah I think it's done really really skillfully I also think like it's sort of a trait in all of the Muppets films no one sort of acknowledges that they're talking to a weird green alien or a frog or a pig with a, you know, like with blonde hair or anything. It's like they're just talking to them as if they are people. So people interact with Muppets and they don't, they just don't acknowledge that sort of difference. And I think it's nice that Michael Caine is doing that in this film as well. Like in his, even like in the terms of scale, his office is run by rats <laughs> who are the, the sort of the clerks and, and a frog. <laughs> but he just sort of comes in and talks to them as if you know he's running this company or whatever and then they've got to work harder and work harder and work harder um, and I, I i do like that you never see him sort of smile or sort of break or anything mm-hmm. as well like they he either sort of did all of his corpsing way before they got on set or he's just so good at being in the character or he hates muppets that could yeah. be it. maybe michael Caine does not find them funny <laughs> but that's fantastic because it helps the character so much more i think to have ebenezer scrooge as obviously this man who you know doesn't love many things and I think if anyone was running an office full of Muppets then you would get angry the way he does but it's a very serious kind of anger he is not I don't think he seems ridiculous Mm. and the the rats don't seem ridiculous either (laughs) it's all a very serious disagreement and everyone's at the end of their tether at Christmas time it's all very realistic frankly I just wanted the rats to get that extra lump of coal they needed. I know, Some they just needed one more. <laughs> what I do like is the other human characters sort of treat Scrooge a bit like a joke. So his employee's terrified of him, mm. but you see the character of his nephew and, and you know he's sort of having a, a bit of a joke with Scrooge, which is kind of nice. I do have to say the other human actors in this film are nowhere near as good as like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're the ones who seem a bit more like puppies. Yeah, I think Kermit outacts most of the human characters. Absolutely. <laughs> That's kind of a, a weakness, I do think, because Michael Kane is so good. I do wish they cast other really good human actors. I wonder if they'd cast other human actors that were very good, maybe we wouldn't be as impressed by the Muppets, or maybe the dynamic might shift a bit more. Do you think Kermit had a? Was he interfering with the casting? Oh, I think like, he I don't definitely. Want, I don't want had, anyone who's better than me. Yeah, <laughs> he definitely had an undercover producing credit somewhere. Yeah, that's, that's classic Kermit. I guess the meat of the story really is the, the the visits from the ghosts, and the film gets very like dark and quite serious after we've had lots of like really you know like happy fun songs we have the the vision of his uh, his sort of ex-partners in chains played by statler and waldorf marley and marley and like that's terrifying the there's a really good like ghostly sort of camera effect on them there's, they've got these like transparent chains wrapping michael Caine up they're talking about how they're being tortured in hell when they're singing about it even yeah and then i i sort of dawned on me when i was in the prince charles at the sing-along and people were singing along to this like i'm watching a u-rated kids movie this is bleak and depressing. Like this is really horrible. Mm. Yeah, and I think and the whole the whole introduction and the exposition when you've got all these songs, for a moment you do kind of forget that it is then gonna dive into the three stories and the mm. three ghosts because there was such a great community and ensemble vibe to the whole thing that I thought, oh, maybe it is just Scrooge against the world and that mm. they won't necessarily follow the same structure but they do but they yeah they set it up very well so that it comes that shift in tone comes as quite a shock i think i think they set they spend just enough time in reality 
like showing Scrooge being mean. Dr. Bunsen, Honeydew and Beaker come in playing people working for a charity, trying to get some money. He won't give them any money. His nephew comes in. He's awful to his nephew. He's awful to a, a little rabbit uh, who Classic just wants Scrooge. you know a little bit of money. He won't do that. He sings him a song, doesn't like that. And it got to a point when I was rewatching it, like, when do the visions happen? Because it feels like yeah, we're spending quite a lot of time too. in reality. And either like the drama is so good, you're just sort of like wrapped, or actually the visions aren't that much at a runtime because people know they're coming and they want to sort of establish how mean this guy is. Yeah. <laughs> and I think originally the, the ghosts were going to be the Muppet classic characters, like Kermit, Gonzo and Piggy were going to be the ghosts. That would make sense. Um, but I sort of like the direction they've gone. They've introduced new Muppet characters to, to play the ghosts. And they're all pretty like weird or scary even the big fun friendly guy is quite scary <laughs> so with the first one is uh, like a child but with a muppet's face who's sort of transparent it's the really ghost of christmas haunting past and <laughs> it's, it's really yeah it's quite disturbing and i saw yesterday someone i think logged it on letterbox or something someone saw it again mm. and said <laughs> they said they really enjoyed it they said oh but i'd completely forgotten about that 900 year old child yeah. and i thought yeah me too it's really something else isn't it again would love to be in the pitch meeting and the first ghost is going to be a muppet who's a 900 year old <laughs> i'd like to be in the voice booth of the yeah. person recording that so this is when michael kane's acting like jumps up a level because before he's very much humbug and mm. and just being mean but in this he starts to show like weakness and he's so scared like Marley and Marley shook him and he he's he sort of changes almost a bit too quickly I think it, like he's not so skeptical when the ghosts start coming which sometimes he's played that way it takes until the third ghost for him to really get it but in this even with the, the first spirit and they're showing him you know him being a boy at school and Sam the Eagle plays his teacher which is delightful Michael Caine's performance really does shift from that first bit of the film because you can see that he's building his own version of Scrooge mm. and yeah he's got to deliver all the same tropes that we know of that character and then he has to shift for to stop performing so much and just reacting a lot more and mm. then you can see that he's kind of I guess vacating the stage a bit more to allow the Muppets to you know come in and do their own Christmas Carol as well yeah there's a really interesting dynamic between both parts of the film it sort of like legitimizes the film as a piece of drama because like, there's an amazing dramatic performance in the middle of this topped by Kane but I do think the Muppets do give quite serious performances as well Tiny Tim goodness me Oof. I mean we should get on to that so the middle ghost is this big huge like man in a suit sort of Muppet and he starts out as this big giant and he sort of shrinks down and he's very forgetful and, and he's sort of like the fun one he has a great song to introduce him but he shows the sort of most tragic story really like how Scrooge is perceived by his peers and his family and then and then little tiny tim and the kermit the frog family with miss piggy and his children miss piggy <laughs> the tiny and frogs and pigs two miss piggy juniors yeah it's great <laughs> it's, it's really tragic and it's very sad but they they are quite fun still like little mannerisms like picking out some of piggy's famous catchphrases and giving them to her children as well <laughs> like when kermit comes in and they're like daddy and they throw him against the wall yeah. i feel sorry for kermit's elder son not tiny tim the one whose name no one can remember oh yeah he doesn't and do he's it. just what like a do? small kermit who has no good lines he's just there, he's just there. yeah poor guy <laughs> but, then, but then we've got to remember that this film has allowed for three kermits already yes, this is true so three is a crowd and he was never you know he was never going to be 
as heartbreaking as Tiny Tim. No, I think Tiny Tim's introduction is 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 amazing, and even then, like when Scrooge just sees the family, he's like, oh, okay. He starts to get it just seeing the family in the present before any sort of visions of what might come to them. But Tiny Tim's introduction also shows you Kermit's legs, which is disturbing. You should never see a Muppet's legs. I wasn't expecting that, and that's not what you should see at Christmas. It's just gross. Banda it's not right. Yeah. <laughs> Occasionally, it's like a, that is a trope in the Muppets films. They usually do one effect shot where they're like, "Look, we have a budget. We can do a Muppet's yeah. leg." <laughs> and in this one, it's sort of Kermit. You can sort of see like the stage he's on is sort of like a wheel almost, and it's just rotating. And there's a puppeteer just like going up and down, up and down with Kermit's legs. But it, it sort of works. And the their entrance is beautiful. They're singing. Tiny Tim sat on his shoulder. He's got a hunchback and a crutch. And already, like you know, the heart starts to melt. Mm-hmm. Tis the season to be jolly and joyous. Fa-la-la, with the burst of pleasure we feel arrived. Fa-la-la, it's the season when the saints can employ us. Fa-la-la, to spread the news about peace and to keep love alive. And is Tiny Tim's colouring slightly different as He's well? He's kind of grey. Yeah. I think that's supposed to be him being like a little bit sick, maybe. Because yeah. <laughs> Kermit's such a vibrant green. <laughs> it's very upsetting, but it's. I think it's very smart. And again, when re- re-watching it, I'd, I'd forgotten that that was the way that they developed Tiny Tim as this character. And... It's definitely my favourite and most upsetting bit. I don't think it's unusual, or maybe I'm just misremembering the other Muppet sort of endeavours, but you don't really see Muppets doing serious stuff. And this is like Kermit with a terminally ill son. Yeah, I mean, that's not what you go to them for, I don't think. Uh, no, no, not what you think of. They don't do that in like you know the Muppets Arena show. Yeah, and you know, not at Christmas, not at not at any time of the year. The film is so economical, you know, see a beautiful 85-minute runtime. But that one dinner table scene, so Kermit comes home, he's just been to church with Tiny Tim. They've sung carols together. And they're having dinner, and they're all sort of, they start to slag off Michael Caine as Ebenezer Scrooge, and Miss Piggy does not like that man. But Tiny Tim's like, no, thank you for this dinner. And, and he's just sort of putting that all aside, and it's like, you're the hero, Tiny Tim. Yeah. Well done, Muppets. <laughs> Tiny Tim knows the true meaning of Christmas and he knows about karma as this well. That's true. Clearly. This is true. Oh, Mr. Scrooge, you'll be very merry and happy this day, I have no doubt. No doubt. Hey, cheers. God bless us, everyone. And then we see the final ghost of Christmas yet to come and it's the most terrifying Muppet anyone has ever ever dreamed of basically a grim reaper muppet with really long arms and a big finger (laughs) who doesn't say a word yeah it's really weird and i think at first when when you see this ghost from a distance i thought oh okay is this going to reveal some kind of muppet is just going to take the hood off and Mm. then be someone else because i had I had that meme in mind where you see the two versions of Kermit and he's wearing the hood. And I thought, oh, this is going to be the ghost, the third ghost. Mm. No, absolutely not. It just stays on the most terrifying shape you've ever seen. It's not a human. It's not a Muppet. I don't know what it is. Well, in the um, the sort of original version they dreamed of when the Muppets would play the characters, they wanted Gonzo to be that ghost and his nose would be sticking out of the hood. Smart. Um, but they got rid of him. <laughs> well, that's smart, but it 
maybe would have made this more of a pantomime. Yes. And it would have really changed the tone a bit, I think. I remember when I, I watched this, we used to sort of rent this video when I was younger. And I remember like when I was quite young, actually being really scared of this ghost and not wanting to watch the film anymore. Understandable, <laughs> yeah. And then, and then you know, like, I, and then I sort of just got on with life and whatever. But re-watching it this time, I was like, I can see why I was scared. Because he, like, they, they've added everything that makes something scary they've put into this this ghost the long arms are such a clever idea because the whole ghost is like directing michael kane and pointing and stuff so like really exaggerating that and they sort of let him sort of like reach over michael kane and open a, a door to some sort of harrowing future vision one of the first scenes we see is a weird spider muppet buying the future deceased scrooge's possessions from people who've robbed his house <laughs> like we're in our muppets film <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's so many reasons to become traumatised by this film and never revisit it again. Mm. So I think there's a lot of magic in it yes. that has made it impossible to not revisit it every time. Mm. Disney films do this quite a lot. They take the audience to sort of an emotional peak where, you know, you cry, you laugh, you cry, it changes your life. And and I think the, the this Muppets film is trying to do that as well. It's trying to have a big impact on the audience. You know, it's not Christmas fluff. This is a serious moral tale and we're all going to learn something but we're going to have a good time doing it with some nice songs. Absolutely. And it could only be at Christmas as well. Only at Christmas. Well done, Brian Henson. That was a good good choice. Very good job. Terrifying. Most enjoyable and terrifying and memorable. I think Brian Henson as a filmmaker has quite a dark streak because he recently did that film The Happy Time Murders which wow. did not get the best reception but oh, that no. is a, basically a dark, gritty, supposedly Muppet-esque sort of detective movie and I think he's working at the, in this film in the confines of a Disney Muppets picture and I think he's probably made it as dark as he possibly can do yeah that makes a lot of sense I haven't seen the Happy Time Murders but I mean it just came and went yeah and went. but in a very in a very very dark and not very enjoyable way like people aren't saying it's a funny film no it's odd when that film came out I was like that's from the and I saw the bad reviews and the terrible box office like this is from the director of the Muppet Christmas Carol <laughs> one of the greatest films ever made what happened Brian how far we've come <laughs> am I in the presence of the ghost of Christmas yet to come spirit I fear you more than any spectre I have yet met Oh, this is too scary. I don't think I want to see any more. Oh, when you're right, you're right. You're on your own, folks. We'll meet you at the finale. Yeah. Oh. I don't know how long that final section is, but it, I think it's it's probably one of the shortest sort of ghostly visions. And I think that's fine because it's so dark in a fun family movie. It, it needs to be brief and it yeah. leaves its impact. We see the Kermit family, family with no Tiny Tim. They're all sad. We see how people refer to Scrooge. He doesn't quite cut on on. He's a bit slow at this point in the film. <laughs> <laughs> like there's someone, one of someone's like selling his old curtains, and he's like, "I've got those." <laughs> and he doesn't get it. And then finally, the the long arm, spooky Grim Reaper ghost uh, shows him his grave, and it's the sort of the denouement of all that stuff. And again, like by this point, Kane is playing it really like he is in the Royal Shakespeare Company. Mm. I, I just think like he should have got an Oscar for this film. This film got nominated for zero Oscars. My God. <laughs> but wouldn't it be a nice world that we'd live in where everyone who deserves to get nominated for an Oscar does? This is true. This is very, very true. Again, the, the story is basically over then. Kane learns his lesson. But the film spends just enough time showing Kane's Ebenezer Scrooge 
being completely transformed, being the happiest man alive. Again, like the sort of in 85 minutes, the arc he goes on is, is incredible. And the, the range of performances Kane has to give in this film from sort of pantomime villain to absolutely terrified to the smiliest man in the world is so much fun to watch. Yeah, you're right. You find yourself grinning, you might shed a tear and you just can't help yourself because it's just done so well. It's really fun watching transformed Michael Caine knocking on the Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy family's door and sort of then put on the character of Grumpy Scrooge saying, it's Christmas Day, why aren't you in work? And then seeing Miss Piggy really go for it. Yeah, that is her shining moment of the film. Uh, it's really great. Again, like she's one of the most famous Muppets and she's barely on screen, mm-hmm. but she has a big moment. Which she is, which uses is really her great. time very well. What I quite like about the film is it is so economical with its runtime. There are loose plot threads in this. We've seen the Kermit the Frog family with a, with a deceased Tiny Tim at this point, and we don't, they don't really sort of explain what happens there. But it, then it cuts back to the narrator, Gonzo and Rizzo, and they're like, and that is the end of the story. But then they also mention the fact that you know, Tiny Tim, who did not die, is still around. It's just sort of like they can just wrap up all the loose yeah. ends through the narration. And just, that's what we need to know. He didn't die. doesn't matter in what other alternate reality what bad thing might have happened because it didn't. And then they can just sing a lovely song and it's it's delightful. So yeah, so I, 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 it was a really good rewatch for me and I, I think I might just watch this film every year from now on. It's become an even more of a Christmas classic. So this film is part of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival. What we like to do at the 90 Minutes of Less Film Festival is make sure audiences get value for money and maybe, you know, like throw in a few extras. So it's quite, it could be an immersive screen or, or, you know, some added value. How would you eventize The Muppet Christmas Carol? Okay, so The Muppet Christmas Carol could only play within a very specific three weeks of the year over Christmas, as we'd said. So you'd know that you were coming to something that you couldn't do in any other place or any other time. So it would have to be in London as well. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. But you'd know in advance which three weeks it is so you could, you know, make travel plans and accommodation accordingly. So you'd come down to London to see this film. I mean, dress up would be encouraged, but I think there would be a number of different themes. So people could really feel comfortable and get creative with the ideas. So you could go Dickensian or you could go Muppets themed or just Christmas. I would recommend wrapping up warm because obviously the screening would be 4D so how could I put this? Uh, There'd be snow everywhere because it's Christmas, because it is the Muppets Christmas. So yeah, so I'd say wrap up warm but if you don't that's fine because there would be red scarves on offer that you could borrow for for the duration of the screening. And then you could take them home if you wanted to make a contribution to the 19 minutes or less film festival. So I would encourage beverages, but I, you know what? I wouldn't impose them because mm-hmm. I think everyone has their own Christmas beverages that they prefer. Obviously, the requirement is that it is a Christmas beverage. Mm-hmm. It has to be mould. Oh, it has any, to be Any mold. sort of mould drink. You can mould whatever you mold want. Mould coffee, tea, yeah. mould sparkling water, just mullet. As long you as it's mould, it's Mould whatever you want. You Wine is strictly banned. Oh, yeah, no, none of that. Unless it's mould. Yes, exactly. Mould, fine. I quite like this. So a Dickensian theme screening in a in a winter wonderland. Yes. And if you so what we're discovering with this film festival is based on our guest choices, the festival has an extremely large budget. So who would be your dream guest for this movie? Uh, people in the past have suggested some 
very big names and we've had to drastically increase the budget to put this festival on. So you can choose anyone you like to come and maybe introduce the screening, do a Q&A, do they cook a goose uh, for the audience? You know, who do we want to get to sort of be part of this film? As I understand that the budget has increased, I obviously have to invite Michael Caine back just because I think that his presence, it would depend what he wanted to do in relation to the screening. I think there's a lot of options here, but I would like to invite him back to introduce the film. I'm not sure about the Q&A afterwards because I feel like, you know, he's in a different phase of his career now. So let the film speak for itself. You know, we don't need to interpret everything. However, I would appreciate it if he would maybe like to make this a bit more of an immersive screening at points. So I'd imagine that he'd introduce the film, then he'd sit on the front row, and then I can imagine him just just, just getting up every now and then. And, you know, when there's a really big Michael Caine moment, I can see, you know, human, real-life Michael Caine just, just acting along with Muppet's Christmas Carol Michael Caine. And it would be amazing. Quite no like one that. would know what was going on. The My- double Kane experience. The double Kane experience. Only he would know. I feel like if... I imagine Michael Kane is not the cheapest public appearance we would need to arrange, but I think we, he should really work for his money. So I also think during the film, he should, like, at the end, to make it more immersive, during the Marley and Marley scene, maybe he rattles chains in the audience's ears. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, maybe but he has to run through the aisles. Scenes, he has a fan, and he just fans the audience. That's really smart. Um, so it sort of feels like you're actually there in the film. Yeah. Okay, well, Kane's game for that. That's fine. Fantastic. And then finally, this film is a really wonderful runtime, 85 minutes. Do you think this film should be longer? No, absolutely not. Just because when watching it, I thought it was a lot longer because I think it was very dense and very, very rich. I worry that if it was longer, I think some of the really brilliant things would just be diluted a bit and they'd just be stretched out. And yeah, I think it has what it needs already. It has so many different tones and characters and ups and downs and everything that I can't imagine an increased runtime making it any better than it already is. Very good. There we have it. Thank you very much. Hello. Thank (laughs) you for having me. Thank you, Ella, uh, for joining us today. Where can listeners uh, find out more about you, read your stuff, listen to your podcast? Uh, So you can find me on Twitter at EFE Kemp. I run a podcast called Cine Matters. We are on Twitter at Cine Matters Pod. If you want to read my writing, you can read me uh, on Culture Whisper, Little White Lies, Sight and Sound, or on Letterboxd. Thank you for listening, and please do like, favourite, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. You can contact us at 90minfilmfest on Twitter and Instagram. We're currently running a festive advent calendar, which is great if you're listening to this in December, and a bit weird if you're listening to this in June. The show is produced by Louise Owen and me, Sam Clements. Our music is by Martin Ostwick, our show is edited by Luke Smith, and our artwork is by Sam Gilby. Merry Christmas, listeners. Thank you for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. Bye.